Blog Talk Radio. Viva La Vida. Today's date, December 20th, 2011. Washington, D.C., the United States of America, planet Earth, third planet from the sun. La Vida by Coldplay. You're listening to the C. Robert Jones Sid Rap. Mm-hmm. You know, there are three kinds of people. My dad told me that there are three kinds of people. Those who want to be led Those who want to lead, and those who just want to be left alone. There was a time when Americans just wanted to be left alone. I'm afraid we've reached a point where a majority 
want to be led. This is good for the few who want to be led. But if conservatives are inclined to be self-reliant and independent folks who just want to be left alone, then liberals are the other end of the spectrum and want to run everybody else's lives. I'm not sure how we turn it around because so many people want to be led and cared for by somebody else, someone else's labor, someone else's production. They want to be cared for by someone else, namely the government. It's very sad, really, considering the government's track record. But pandering works, and the media the media has become propagandist for the government rather than a watchdog for the public. Now, my main man and yours, Milton Friedman, whom you've heard clips from on this show many times before, is going to once again sum it up and put it out there. Not with anger, not with name-calling, not with anything but simple logic. Compassion and logic. Please take a listen and bear with me here because the clip is rather long. But the message is so important. And my wonder, my concern, my issue is that why are not more people simply understanding of this simple logic? You're listening to the C. Robert Jones Situation Report and Milton Freeman's Going to Lay It Down. The free lunch myth. The belief that somehow or other government can spend money at nobody's expense. I don't know how many of you have ever heard of a wonderful description of government that was made by a French economist by the name of Frederick Bastiat about 150 years ago. He said, government is that fiction whereby everybody believes that he can live at the expense of everybody else. And that is the free lunch myth. The myth that somehow or other government can provide goods and services, can spend money at nobody's expense. Now, the particular form which that myth takes is very specific. It has two parts. One part is a belief that somehow or other you can tax business without consumers or workers or individuals paying for it. Somehow business is a big source a big cornucopia out there that can be taxed at no cost. And the other way of form the myth takes is that you can create money at no cost. That if you turn the printing press, if you produce those greenbacks, that will enable people to become richer with nobody becoming poorer. Well, let me look at first problem. Can you tax business? What's business? There's no business to be taxed. There are people. Only people can pay taxes. Can I tax this floor? Can I tax the building? The building can't pay taxes. Only people can pay taxes. So when you talk about a tax on business, it has to be paid by somebody. Either it's paid by the stockholder, or it's paid by the customer, or it's paid by the worker. There's no other way it can come from. There's no, uh, there's no 
Santa Claus? No tooth fairy? That's going to provide a source by which the government can spend money that doesn't come from somebody. Somebody has to pay. And yet, over and over again, you hear the claim, oh, we, cannot we must not increase taxes on individuals, we'll increase taxes on business, in connection with the current discussion of Social Security. This fiction arises. There is a fiction that the Social Security tax is half on the individual and half on the employer. Um, it's uh, that, that the individual only pays 5.75%, the employer pays, pays an equal amount. That's nonsense. That's bookkeeping. That's not economics. That's not reality. The part that the employer pays is part of his wage cost. If an employer considers whether it's worth his while to hire an additional worker, he has to consider as part of his cost not only what he pays to the worker, but also the extra taxes he will have to pay to the government. It makes no difference to the employer at all. If he pays the worker a bigger check and the worker pays a larger part of that directly to the government, or he pays a worker a smaller check, but in addition has to send a check to Washington. What matters to him is the total number of dollars it costs him to hire an additional person. So the fact is, the logic is, the reason is, that the tax on the so-called tax on the employer is paid by the employee. Now, this has always been clear from uh, economic reasoning, general economic reasoning, but it has also been subjected to empirical test. In a book, even from that height, uh, height uh, from that uh, temple of belief in greater and bigger government, the Brookings Institution, in Washington, published a couple of years ago, demonstrated empirically that the tax on the employer was really paid by the employee, that it was shifted to the employee, and it can't be any other way, as you will see if you think about it. So business doesn't pay that tax. And yet, despite this, you have the great move in Congress right now in remedying the problem of Social Security to impose a larger fraction of the tax on business on the alleged grounds that somehow or other that spares a worker. It doesn't have any such effect. It reduces the incentive to hire people and thus impose, is imposed on the worker. But again, if you look at the taxing corporate profits, the distinction you have to draw is between who writes the check and who fundamentally bears the cost. It may well be that an official of a corporation writes the check for the tax on profits, so-called profits. He writes the check, but who pays it? He doesn't pay it. Here is a poor fellow who may be earning a, a, a modest competence. He may be writing a check for $10 million. That isn't coming out of his hide. Where's that $10 million coming from? It has to come from the proceeds of the goods and services which the enterprise sells. And that $10 million is $10 million less available either for cutting prices or for paying out dividends or for paying wages and salaries. The tax is borne by people. And for this reason, I must say, I have always myself been strongly in favor of eliminating altogether the tax on corporations. So it's open and above board that you are taxing people and that you do not conceal that fact by appearing to tax corporations. Well, again, with respect to money, can you print money at no cost? It's very cheap to turn out those pieces of paper. But does that get society something for nothing? Not at all. It's simply a different form of taxation. If you print money, people have more money to spend. If they spend, if they spend more money on the same amount of goods, prices go up. And in effect, everybody is paying a tax through inflation. Once again, it's only a form of taxation. Is he right? Of course he is. So many of us today believe that corporations, companies, those fat cats, those fat cats, are individuals 
with a lot of money, a lot of excess money, that they should rightfully be forced to share with those who don't have as much. If I sit in my home office right now and I've got three computers running and my neighbor uptown has no computer, should I be forced to provide them one of mine simply because I have more? This is this is the logic of the current administration and frankly a great many liberals that somehow those of us who have more are somehow stealing from someone else and that theft needs to be rectified in the form of redistribution A great, great American, Dr. Adrian Rogers, 1931 to 2005, said, and I quote, you cannot legislate the poor in freedom by legislating the wealthy out of freedom. What one person receives without working for Another person must work for without receiving. The government cannot give to anybody anything that the government does not first take from somebody else. When half of the people get the idea that they do not have to work because the other half is going to take care of them, and when the other half gets the idea that it does no good to work because somebody else is going to get what they work for. That, my friend, that, my dear friend, is about the end of any nation. You cannot multiply wealth by dividing it. It's as simple as that. When will we learn? Will we learn time? The end of this great nation has been predicted many times, but not so many times as recently. Recent history. Before Obama, before Clinton, America was a great and proud nation. Now, I'll grant that Bill Clinton did some good things in office. I need to be fair, and I'm going to be fair. He did some pretty good things. He was certainly not as destructive and as liberal as our current resident dictator. Right now, Folks, we are seeing America in steep decline. Steep decline. And I don't see where we're going to be able to pull ourselves out of that decline in time. You know, as a Marine, I was a fighter pilot during much of my career. And I used to engage in these steep dives. And it's a matter of depth perception and a matter of skill as well as experience in knowing when to pull back on the stick and pull yourself out of that dive. There's a finite time period there when you have to make a decision. At this time, we need to make a decision. Time is running out. Now, 
the socialist ideal is very popular. The, the socialism ideal is very popular with intellectuals and academics because of the apparent rightness and fairness of this ideal. This idealism conceptualized in the ivory towers of our universities has been thoroughly thought out and, and it's been debated, then taught to students of said institutions who then debated among themselves. Then the rightness and fairness of the ideal perpetuates itself among student bodies of our learning institutions by idealistic advocates with rose-colored glasses, ID, i.e. our commander-in-chief, the President of the United States. Socialism. A social system in which means of producing and distributing goods are owned collectively and political power is exercised by the whole community. The theory or practice of those who support such a social system, the building of the material base for communism under, under, under the dictatorship of the proletariat in Marxist-Leninist theory. There you have it. Now, clearly, American socialism is distinctly different from the above definition. In America, where we maintain a capitalistic free market society, incrementally, we're instituting social programs. Take note of the root word socialism. Instead of a system owned collectively by the people, our system is owned privately, but taxed mercilessly by the government for wealth redistribution for our collective social good, i.e., we're being taxed into socialism. And the current president of the United States believes in this wholeheartedly. That's where we are right now. The call-in number is 347-884-8500. That is where we are right here and now. And I want to just say this. We really need to we really need to figure out what we want, what kind of country we want to be right now. Slim Jim writes in the chat room If I had no shirt and saw a guy with two shirts, I'd try to find out how he was able to do that. Then get busy. Instead of, and I'm going to go ahead and finish that, instead of jacking the guy up, hitting him in the head with a brick, and taking one of his shirts, or begging him for it and hoping he'll give it to you, or just snatching one of the shirts and running off. <laughs> Slim Jim has it right. No doubt. Now, I got a lot of, I don't know, I I, I just want to, I, I, I really would like for us to figure out where we want to be as a country. Because right now, I got some bad news earlier today. While reading through the judge, the Drudge Report, that Obama's poll numbers have gone up 5%. That's not too bad. He's received bumps here and there before, and they've gone back down. But what concerns me about this latest bump is it's coming just a just just a just a year shy of the election cycle. So at this point, fifty one percent of Americans believe that Obama's doing a pretty good job. Fifty just fifty percent, fifty fifty one percent. That sincerely bothers me. I'm afraid that our current commander-in-chief is going to be able to persuade Americans to give him another four years to finish the job, as he said. He says he needs another four years to finish the job. Or is it to finish off America and to fundamentally transform it into, well, he didn't actually say, did he? 
Well, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back, and we'll discuss it some more. The call-in number is 347-884-8500, and you're listening to the C. Robert Jones Situation Report. We'll be right back. Excellence in Broadcasting presents Liberals of Genius. Liberals of Genius. Today we salute you, Mr. President of the United States. You single-handedly managed to choke all the life out of the world's greatest economy in record time. 10% unemployment. No one else could have apologized more, spent more, or built a rat maze healthcare system from hell that only the IRS could love. What were you thinking? Thanks to you, FDR will be known as a conservative, Carter will look presidential, and Joseph Stalin won't seem like such a bad guy. Joe was misunderstood. So crack open a good book, sit on your butt, and help your buddies with a snowball's chance in November. Mr. President, the one we weren't waiting for. While you're awake, don't forget the right. We'll think of you every day and night. Bye-bye, so long, farewell. Bye-bye, so long. See you in November. See you when your term is through. Radio hosts on Internet Talk Radio. Starting at 8 p.m., listen to The Situation Report with Dr. C. Robert Jones of Gojo Media. Doc Jones is a retired Marine officer and holds a Ph.D. in history. Come check out his show weeknights from 8 to 9 p.m. Eastern Time. From there, stay on board with the 2020 Network, alternating between G-Ski Rocks and his show Live and Direct and David Graham of Stay Mad Radio. Taking you to bedtime with wit and wisdom and class and clarity. Join this nightly tea party family and bring your friends Monday through Thursday, 9 to 11 p.m. Eastern Time. What to do do, do on Friday? 
Well, keep your internet radio routine with Tesla's great show, Socialism is Not an Option. The Roundtable Roundup Edition, where you can call in and vent your frustrations from the week. It's an open line discussion where other radio hosts and listeners call in and let us know what's on their mind every Friday at 9 p.m. Eastern. All right, we're back with the C. Robert Jones Situation Report. You know, the intellectuals on the left have been unable to abandon their totalitarian, collectivist ideology. Even after communism and national socialism provided, or proved rather, to be crushing failures in the 20th century, they still hold to the their truth. That it can work here in the United States, that it should work, that it must work. And Obama's Osawatomi speech, Osawatomi Kansas speech, speaks to the idea that he believes that capitalism, the free market system, does not work and has never worked. You know, the new face of their same old tired ideas has been rehabilitated time and time again and made over by their clever adoption of postmodern metaphysics and ethics, if you will. Slowly but relentlessly, the dogma of multiculturalism and political correctness have been absorbed at all levels of Western culture. In the last two decades, we've seen it over and over and over again. And and, at, and after the end of the Cold War, it's been accelerating exponentially. Slowly but relentlessly, they have found new ways to discredit freedom, individuality, and capitalism. The idea... Obama disdainfully puts that we should be left to fend for ourselves. I couldn't agree more. We should be left to fend for ourselves. Not to be looked after. Not to be taken care of. If we're not left to fend for ourselves, then we're not being left alone. If we're not being left to fend for ourselves, that suggests to me that the President of the United States wants to take care of me. He wants to look out for me. He wants to look out for my welfare. He wants to look out for the welfare of my family. He wants to be my benevolent father. I already had a dad and a mom. I don't need the President of the United States to look out for me. That was their job, and they did their job well. So the Osawatomie, Kansas speech, where the president says that Republicans believe that we should be left to fend for ourselves, spoke volumes to me that Obama wants to replace the dear leader of the North Korean a uh, 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 communist dictatorship. Obama now wants to become dear leader. We're, we're not left to fend for ourselves, Melinda. We're not left to fend for ourselves, Slim Jim or Billy or Casanova or Evil. No. Because Republicans, those evil dastardly, uncaring, unfeeling Republicans believe that we should be left alone. And that Obama doesn't believe that we should be left to our own devices. That we should be left alone to fend for ourselves. How my mother would, would how, my, how my, my whole family lineage dating back to the Mayflower <laughs> I just added that last part. No. Um, going all the way back to wherever the hell they came from would be appalled 
that I have not gotten to the point where I should be left to fend for myself. I want to fend for myself. Don't you? Don't you want to fend for yourself? Or do you want dear leader Barack Hussein Obama to do your fending for you? Now, the new face of our collectivist and totalitarian thought has been seamlessly integrated into most K-12 curricula and all other learning environments. In fact, all other learning environments have been forfeited of attempts by leading academics and academic institutions to rewrite most of history and undo thousands of years of Western culture and advancement because we evil Westerners, we evil Americans, we've done nothing but take and take and take and take. Yeah, we took. We took some. Yeah, we took a lot. But so is every other country on this planet. We don't hold a monopoly on taking advantage of a situation to benefit ourselves. That's what we do as Americans. Let's face it. And there's nothing wrong with it as long as you're not breaking any laws or hurting anybody personally. I take advantage every day to benefit myself. And as long as I'm not stealing, lying, or causing anybody any pain, I'm good with that. If the left understands anything, though, it's that in order for their ideology and its promised utopia to be born, they must thoroughly destroy America and undermine everything America stands for in the world. Hence Obama bowing and scraping and saying that America has been dismissive and derisive and all the other isses. And bowing down real low as if he's attempting to perform fellatio on some foreign leader or another. I have never in my 49.9 years on this planet ever seen an American president bow down to any foreign leader. Ever. Ever. Why? Why bow down? What does America come to when our president goes and bows deeply to any foreign leader and submits himself? He's submissive. How could your girlfriend or your wife or your significant other ever respect you? When you approach someone and bow, a deep, deep, way down low bow, as if you dropped a penny and you're looking to pick it up. It's so embarrassing. Ayn Rand put it, though. Ayn Rand put it out there for us. You know, we have so many people that we have lost in this world who really knew how to how to solve these problems what steps were needed to keep america on the right course and now they're gone who do we have left milton's gone ian rand's gone who is there to take up the mantle you're listening to the C. Robert Jones Situation Report, and I would really like for you to take a listen to my girl, Ayn Rand, and call in if you have any questions, and tell me if you don't agree with what she has to say here about entitlements. Entitlements are not rights. You're listening to the C. Robert Jones Situation Report, and Ayn Rand's going to talk about it right here and now.
rights. You've spoken favorably about the right to freedom of speech and other human rights, but I take it you would not assent to the usual list of rights so much publicized these days, such as the right to a minimum standard of living, the right to equality of opportunity, the right to a free education, and so on. Why? What's the basis of the distinction? Well, there, uh, you have a complete contradiction. This concept of rights demands, as a right, values which do not, in fact, belong to men in nature. In other words, the right to minimum sustenance means that a man without any effort on his part is entitled to sustain his life. Well, since nature does not provide men automatically with this sustenance, the only way of maintaining or implementing such a right would be to breach, infringe, and deny the rights of some other man. It means that some other man is charged with the unchosen responsibility to support the man who is guaranteed a minimum sustenance. It means that some men are to be enslaved to the minimum or maximum needs of others. Not only is it a vicious concept, but whichever you might wish to call it, it cannot possibly be called a right. Nobody could, in fact, maintain Well, let's just stop Ayn Rand right there. Here's the deal, folks. There are those in power right now, and I'm not going to say any names, Barack Hussein Obama, who believe that if you make a certain amount of money, if you worked hard, if you punched your tickets, if you've achieved your right of passages, and somehow you prospered as a result… It is your obligation to share your wealth, your ideas, the sweat of your brow with someone who hasn't done any of the things that you've done. It is your responsibility as a citizen of the world to provide for someone else, whether they did not achieve as a result of accidental birth low IQ, handicapped, what have you. It is it is the the fundamental idea of a certain individual who resides in the White House that I am my brother's keeper. And if I don't believe it, I will be made to believe it. I will be forced forced through wealth redistribution to overregulation, overtaxation, to provide for someone else. Get back to Rand. In the right of some men to enslave others and to demand the unearned from them. Since nobody gets any production, any material values, any physical substance from nature itself, nobody has the right to claim any minimum guarantee because it can come only from other men and nobody can claim the right to enslave other men. When you discuss in your objectivist ethics the concept of survival, many readers and listeners, I think, misconstrue this in the following way. When you mention the term survival, they immediately think of sheer physical survival and just that. Nevertheless, it may be argued that physical survival is a precondition of other kinds of survival. And the argument that I've heard from some people goes something like this. At least everybody should be provided for uh, with regard to a minimum standard of living because, if, because you just can't let people starve. If people uh, are permitted to starve, of course, they die, and then no other or more worthwhile form of survival is possible to them. Well, this argument is a blatant case of simple context dropping. I have uh, gone to great lengths, both in the objectivist ethics and in Atlas Shrugged, to demonstrate what is the meaning of survival, and that sense in which I use this term does not apply to the range of the immediate moment, that it is survival across the whole span of a human life. The, the brute physical survival of the moment 
as a standard usually end with that moment, that it is one of the most disastrous policies that a man can accept. Therefore, to reiterate once more this point, when I speak of survival, I speak of the long-term lifespan survival of a man in every aspect that is open to his choice. And uh, this would mean that at no time can men hold the immediate advantage or survival of any one issue or any one moment above his knowledge of the long-range cost and that rational. All right. Slavery. Slavery. Modern-day slavery, where my work, my production is taken away and provided to someone else because they're alive. Some woman gave birth to them, brought them into the world, and as a result of their just breathing, they believe that they're owed a living. They're owed a free education. They're owed a free house, a car, whatever, simply because they exist. And who's to pay for these things that they're owed? Me and you. Take, for example, the Occupy Wall Street protesters who listed 13 proposed demands from their website. Demands. Demand one, restore the living wage. This demand can only be met by ending free trade, by reimposing trade tariffs on all imported goods. And that the government, there must be instituted a raise to raise the minimum wage to $20 an hour. Believe it, raise the minimum wage to $20 an hour. Who's paying for that? Oh, those fat cats, those bankers, those corporations, those companies, you know, those inanimate objects. Another demand, guaranteed living wage income regardless of employment. Again, simply for existing, simply because you live and breathe and walk the earth. Guaranteed living wage income, regardless of whether you have a job, regardless of whether you're productive, regardless of whether you can process an original thought. No, I exist. Therefore, you must give me half of your stuff. I want half. I want half of your stuff. Because I exist. You have all of this. I don't have. I demand that you give me half. <sighs> I breathe. That means I'm guaranteed half of your stuff simply because I'm breathing and walking around oh no I'm not doing anything I'm not no I don't have a job the man is keeping me down those those Wall Street fat cats won't hire me and they even if they will they're not paying me what I want they're not paying me what I deserve as a as a citizen of the world a human being I am a human being, and I deserve half of your you-know-what. They've got more demands. Radical uh, racial and gender equality rights amendment, whatever the hell that means. Begin a fast-track process to bring the fossil fuel economy to an end while at the same time bringing in alternative energy economy up to energy demand. We'll see how that works with Solyndra. Open border migration. Anyone can travel anywhere to work and live. Of course anyone can travel anywhere to work and live. Follow the process. Oh, but you shouldn't have to follow any process. You shouldn't have to have bona fides or rites of passages because you're a citizen of the world. Oh, and their favorite one, the one I like most, 
outlaw all credit reporting agencies. So if you don't feel like paying your bill, well, you shouldn't. There shouldn't be any consequences for that. You simply, I can't pay. I can't pay. And you shouldn't have to force me to pay. And there should be no consequences if I can't pay pay for my stuff. If I can't pay my own way, well, I'm a human being. Give me stuff. Let me have something. Let me hold on to that. Not because I deserve it. And I know how hard you work for it. But I'm a human being. I live and breathe. Therefore, I am. Therefore, you should give me some of your stuff for free. At least half. Well, let's finish up with Ayn Rand. Being does not live like an animal on the range of the immediate moment. This is precisely what men's proper survival forbids. Now, when you say that if um, we do not support certain people, they will die, and therefore nothing else is possible, this is not, first of all, metaphysically an issue open to our choice. Such is man's nature and man's position on earth. That if he does not provide for his survival, nature will not take care of him. Since this is so, the universal uh, rational law of morality applicable here is that every man is responsible for his own survival and that he cannot become a mortgage on the life of another man. That to have the right of life does not mean that someone else has to lose his right and spend his existence supporting you. The confusion here is between the right itself and the content or the consequence and the result of that right. For instance, if you have the right to live, that means you have the right to work and produce the material goods of your survival. It doesn't mean that somebody else has to produce the result of your right and provide you with food because you need it. I'm thinking now not so much of the people who are able to engage in productive labor but won't, as of the people who are handicapped and cannot, by their own nature, provide anything at all for themselves. Well, in that case, and by the very definition, they can survive only by the assistance of those people who are able to help them. They cannot uh, make their need a mortgage or a burden on the men without whom their own survival is not possible. It is, in effect, if anyone were sincerely concerned with the plight of the handicapped, who incidentally are a small minority of mankind, but if one were sincerely concerned, then for their sake, if no better reason, one should leave the strong, the productive, the able men free because they're the only ones who can provide for the handicapped. But then such act can be nothing more than charity. It can only come from the voluntary gift and in effect, the surplus of the productive man when and if he wishes to help the handicapped. If he has reason to wish it, that may be a very fine act. But what I stress is that it is not a duty on his part and is not a right of the handicapped. A right has to be based on nature. The handicapped can only count on the kindness of the non-handicapped to help him. He cannot demand it as a right. All right, we're back with the C. Robert Jones situation report. The call in the number is 347-884-8500. Can it be clear? Could it be any clearer? All right, so we don't have Ayn Rand anymore. We don't have Milton Friedman. We've got a couple of other folks who clearly spell these things out for us in no uncertain terms. What's wrong with being selfish? What's wrong with living for yourself? Who do you live for? I know there are a lot of folks out there who say that they live for their children or they live for their grandmas or they live for this person or that person. Who do you live for? Do you live for yourself so that at some point you may benefit others? If you're so inclined, I remember some years ago, 
a very big deal was made out of the fact that my main man and yours, Rush Limbaugh, was, well, had to resort to accepting unemployment for about eight weeks. Because way back then, you couldn't get 99 weeks of unemployment. If you got 13, you were lucky. Well, Rush Limbaugh was fired from the Kansas City Royals as a marketing guy. As you all know, Rush is from Cape Girardeau, Missouri, and pretty much started his career after dropping out of college with the Kansas City Royals. He was fired from that job. And at the time, he was married. And he... He accepted unemployment for eight weeks. And so much was made out of it. The fact that Rush believes in self-reliance. And Rush is a hypocrite because he believes that everyone should make their own way while then accepting unemployment. The fact is Rush paid into the unemployment and he deserved it. But more important... Look what Rush has done since, because at the time of this criticism, Rush Limbaugh was the biggest, and he still is, the biggest talk show host in America, employing a great many people. I don't know how many exactly. There's quite a few, generating hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars at that time. I would say that Rush has paid back <laughs> – that unemployment 10 times over. Yeah, I think so. Southern senses in the house. Angry mom, no way, Tesla. Billy. Evil clown, Casanova. You guys are great. I would really like to thank you for being here tonight. You made this show really New, Net King, Marine Times. So here we have it, folks. Who do you live for? Do you want the benefits of your labor taken from you, confiscated? Isn't this what we, our ancestors rather, fought for and died for in the Revolutionary War? Not to be overtaxed and overregulated, thrust into tyranny. Is there another revolution coming? We're going to talk about that tomorrow on tomorrow's show. An American revolution, the new American revolution. You've been listening to the C. Robert Jones Situation Report. I want to thank you all for being here tonight. You guys are great. Have a great night. God bless you. God bless the United States of America. Could we start again? Please? I've been living to see you Dying to see you But it shouldn't be like this This was unexpected What do I do now? Could we start again, please? I've been very hopeful so Just a dream, or could we start again? I think you've made your point now. You've even gone a bit too far to get the message home. Before it gets too frightening, we ought to call a halt. So could we start again, please? I've been living to see you Dying to see you But it shouldn't be like this This was unexpected Why?
of America. That's Yvonne Elliman. Could we start again? Please?